Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking with the Wounded with me, your host, Ben Stevens. Just before I get into my guest's story and introducing him, I just want to do a bit of housekeeping. Thank you very much for all the downloads and the listeners and all your comments, likes and follows, and especially your feedback. Um, I get that the music is not to everyone's taste. I'm working on it. Uh, likewise, the production, etc., etc. I'm getting better. I'm trying my best, and my best will only get better. I'm I'm sat with my guest in his house today. There might be a bit of background noise. He's got lots of small children who are all wanting to get on the podcast as well. On to my guest today. I thought we'd shake things up a bit. Normally, we start with their journey of how they got into the military, why they chose the regiment they chose, and their journey to the point where their life changed. Today we're going to start off at the moment and then go through what happens, life changes and what they're doing now and spend a little bit more time on that rather than on how they uh, how they got to being there in the first place. So a little bit more time on that and the extraordinary things that my guest today does with his time now that uh, he's no longer in the military. My guest today is a chap called Jason Gould. Uh, Welcome to Talking With The Wounded, Jason. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. This is the podcast that nobody really wants to qualify for, but which unfortunately you do, and in quite a big way, it, it, it would appear. So a big thank you for agreeing to share your story. If Before we start, I just slightly sure. set the scene a bit. Yeah. You joined the army, age 16. You initially signed up to be in part of a different regiment. And then you saw the light, somebody sold you the dream, and you changed over as a young 16-year-old in training from initially signing up to join the Rifles because you're a West Country man and Taunton is their hunting ground. And you join the Grenadier Guards. You end up in number two company, the Grenadier Guards, in 2011, and you deploy on Opheric to Afghanistan, Helmand Province, 2012 as a 20-year-old guardsman. And for the listeners, those of you that have heard Happy Blow-Up Day by Tony Checkley, episode one, Jason has the same job that Tony did. He's the point man in his team. He's the man with the metal detector, finding the improvised explosive devices or anything else that's uh, been put out there to harm him and his team. And that's his job. So, Jason, Hello. let's go to the 27th of July, 2012. You step out of your forward operating base in Helmand province and go out on patrol. And... For the last time. For the last time. For the last time. Okay. Unbeknownst to me. Unbeknownst to you. you you've... <clears throat> You've been on tour four months, had a lot of contacts. Yeah. yeah, it was a good tour. It was a really good tour. Anybody else in the... You've had some other injuries in the company. Yeah. People like Tony. Yeah. But you haven't lost anybody. No, from the from the company, we've been very, very fortunate. From the platoon, we've been very fortunate as well. I think I was... I think I was the platoon's first serious injury yeah and there was only a couple more in the company before so yeah so it was <coughs> it was an eye-opener so 27th of july 
Talk me through your recollections of this day. <laughs> well, from what I can remember, the best of what I can remember, it was just like any other day. We got up really early in the morning. We were going to go out for a morning patrol before the sun had, had risen. I think we left it around, around four o'clock in the morning. Afghanistan was that weird place where it goes from night to day really, really quickly. And it was within that period that I, that I stepped on and, and triggered the IED that obviously blew me up. So you've been out on the ground, you are patrolling along. Set the scene, where did it happen? So we, off, off, we're based out of Fobrahim with a couple of checkpoints dotted around. Towards the, the middle half of the tour, we had pushed further out into the green zone, down to a place called Adenzai, where we set up a, a, another checkpoint, a, a temporary checkpoint, basically. And that's where we were operating out of that day. And from the, what I remember, we'd had a, we'd had a guy in our AO that had, had taken a few shots. Same as a sniper, but not a very good one. Taking a few shots at a couple of the guys, um, and we wanted to go out and get him. Uh-huh. So we pushed out really early in the morning. And our plan was to stop off at a compound to drop off uh, a sniper pair, and then from there we could hopefully flush him out. Ah, the old for the snipers. To... The old tethered goat scenario. Yes. You wander yeah. around. Hopefully they take a shot, and the snipers and your snipers get them. Yeah. So that's that's how I I, How'd I that remember plan work it? out. Oh, tremendous. <laughs> I got the day, I got the guys a day off of work, so you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, that, it was it was pretty simple stuff. Nothing we hadn't done before. You're the point guy, so your yeah. eyes are on the ground with your metal detector. Yeah. Guys are protecting you. Yeah. You're walking through poppy fields, wadis. What's yeah? So we <clears throat> we take us to the moment. We broke from a, a, a wood line. And, and broke into a, into a field not too far from the compound where we wanted to drop off this, this sniper pair. And I took a knee, let everyone else catch up. They all caught up. And we were, we, this, is, this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy. I can't remember if I was, I don't think I was in the field, but I wasn't on a track, <laughs> if that makes sense. I let everyone catch up. And then we, we set off and two, maybe three steps after we set off, it all just went slow motion. And I just heard this click. You actually get the click. I actually got the click, yeah. But this is because it's not being picked up by your metal detector? So I didn't have it out at the time. It was, a, it was sort of a low risk area. Obviously you can't metal detect in a way everywhere because you'd never get anywhere mm-hmm. it's such a slow tedious process so you have to be selective when you do it you're making a risk assessment the whole exactly, time exactly yeah if you're approaching a vulnerable point a crossroad a junction or a pathway where you think they might have second guessed you would go exactly yeah a choke point let's yes. say mm-hmm. then that's where you would you would deploy your your valon or your horn or whatever piece of equipment you've got yeah however because i was in the open there was no, from what I remember, um, there was no distinguishing features that would have indicated a pathway or a walkway or somewhere where people had been. But unfortunately, I was wrong. <laughs> so you got the click? Yeah, I, I remember standing on it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I stood on it with my left leg. 
and everything went slow motion. I heard this click and then everything went fuzzy. Went red, my eyesight went red. My ears were ringing. I felt like I'd been hit by a freight train. And yeah, next thing I know, I was in a, a field led on my back, missing a few body parts. Okay, so you, you fly up in the air. Yeah. Lots of earth, Dust, earth is flying up with you. Yeah. You come to land. Yeah. Conscious? Yeah. I remember pretty much everything. Not 100% accurately. Some bits were filled in, or it didn't happen like this, it was a bit like this, Jay, or whatever it might be, but mm -hmm. the whole process, I, I remember. Apologies, but small people are waking up, if you can hear those listeners. Talk us through, at, whilst lying down in this field, something's gone bang. Mm -hmm. Do you then start to consciously realise, A, it's you and B, what's happened to you. What's running through your mind is about checking out your own body or are you yeah, not so, thinking like that? No, it was quite funny. So obviously because I remember standing on it, the first thought that went through my head was just fuck. It, it, was, it was nothing more complicated. So yeah. there was no point overthinking it. It was just, well, this is it then boys, fuck it. Let's do it in style. And um, yeah, so once I'd, once I'd hit the ground, the one part which I don't remember is, and what I was told later, was I, I did actually have a tourniquet in my hand. I tried self-applying a tourniquet. No idea where I was trying to apply it to. Okay. I was just found with one in my hand. Right. But this is where it gets a bit, a bit fuzzy because um, obviously I took quite a nasty bang to the head, broken jaw, hold under my chin. So because just, of that, my my vision and my recollection was a little bit screwed with, so to say. So whilst I was found with a tourniquet, I wasn't quite sure where I was trying to apply it to. Yeah. All I remember was then hearing voices of, of the guys running over to me, obviously, which they then took over the medical treatment. Again, this is where, this is where it gets a little bit hazy for me. I'm not sure of timescale. Okay. I might have been there for 20 seconds or I might have been there for five minutes. I'm not 100% yeah. sure on, on that timescale. All I know is that I stood on it, I heard it. Because of the facial injuries, it, it made me a bit fuzzy. I didn't really feel pain as such. There was no like... You know when you stubbed your toe and you think, oh, fucking hell, bastard. Yeah. There was nothing like that. It was so... The body was obviously so taken by shock and, and trauma, I suppose. Yeah. That it was just like, I don't know what to do with this information. Yeah. So my brain didn't shut it out. And the way I describe it was like, when you get really, really bad pins and needles, but all over, and then jumping into a really, really hot bath, you know, when you come out like a lobster, it was those two feelings combined. Now I'm assuming that's just, just the nerve endings going mental and the heat from the explosion. Yeah. Um, so that was the only real pain that I felt. When were you conscious of things weren't how you were um, before you heard the click? I, I'm pretty sure I tried to stand up before the guys got to me. 
mm-hmm. and it, it just wasn't it wasn't happening and it's bizarre because I, I never I never asked I, I couldn't talk well obviously I'll explain my injuries probably later and you'll know why I couldn't talk but I couldn't talk so I, I didn't actually ask anybody what are my injuries what's here what's there I just knew I just subconsciously knew what had happened and, and what had gone so for me it wasn't is everything there is everything okay sort of thing my brain just sort of went alright here's a checklist this is what you've lost sign here and we'll, we'll move on but yeah so <clears throat> for me I think my priority was was not choking on my own blood that was my biggest yeah that was my biggest so my, all my attention went on that more than it did the legs and the hands and the And arms. presumably the guys who get it over to you, they're then doing the tourniquets and the yeah. helping you with your airway and trying to work out what this mess is in front yeah. of them. Yeah. So they had a rough time. So like I said at the start, Afghanistan it goes sort of like one minute it's pitch black, the next minute it's daylight and, and vice versa. And it was in that period where it was almost too dark for the naked eye, but too light for night vision. So the guys were really, really you know, struggling for, for lighting to see what was going on and to try and assess. You can't just flick a switch and turn the landing lights on. So for them to try and, and assess and figure out what was going on was a bit of a bit of a nightmare. Plus we were in a cornfield, which makes everything a little bit more difficult. So I don't think it wasn't until they casually me out of the cornfield and then back across the wood block or back through the the tree line. Mm-hmm. That's then when everyone starts to get a real good look at what the issues were and what the problems were. So they stick you in a poncho or something and drag you out of this field? Yeah, it's like a plastic hard stretcher that rolls up really small. Useless, absolute useless bit of kit. But it was one of them nonetheless. Right. It's more of like a sledge. You just put something on it and drag them. Right. So they get you out of the, the impact zone. Yeah. And the light's coming up and... Somebody, presumably your platoon commander or multiple commander or whatever boss, is going. We need casi- yeah. casualty evacuation. So from the very so from the very start, you've got obviously the guys putting out security, doing secondary searches. You've- for the listener, that means looking for other devices so that they don't incur more casualties. Yeah, and obviously you've got the multiple commanders. They're on the net. They're they're contacting the ops room and, and higher up, sorting out Merts and nine-liners and, and, and all the rest of the good stuff. Mert meaning? Medical emergency response team. It comes in the back yeah. of the Chinook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, to yeah. me off guard then. It's a, yeah. No, 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 it's, it, but that's fine. Okay, so they get you, they start working out what's wrong with you. Yeah. Or what they can do immediately until the, yeah. the, the Mert team arrive. Yes, which was very little. And um, you're, you're, you're conscious at this stage? Yeah, yeah, I'm conscious. So you're beginning to establish, as they're putting tourniquets and things on, what's going on? Yeah, pretty much. Again, I tried not to focus on it too much. It was irrelevant. I think, for me, as the casualty, it was irrelevant because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't help in any way. So my only goal was to try and survive. You're just going. In, so in live. my yeah, pre, yeah, pretty much. You're not gonna die here. Not not now. Not here. Not now. 
And the other weird one was helicopter. I don't know why, but I, I just... Obviously, we all knew that Merck would come get you, or Pedro would come get you if you were in trouble. And for some reason, I built up in my head that once you were on the back of the aircraft, you were, you were fine, you were safe, you were 100% going to live. Don't know why, but that was the, that was the focus in, in the head. Just get, just, with, just get me to the aircraft. Get me in the team. Yeah. Get me with the medics on there. Yeah. And, and I, I suppose I, di- I didn't really think about it too much because I knew the guys were capable. I knew they knew their job. I knew they knew what they were doing. So why would I interfere? Do you know what I mean? It's like... And so, so now, you alluded to it earlier, you weren't really capable of interfering anyway. No. Perhaps now's a good time if you start from the bottom up, the injuries. <laughs> bottom up, I don't... That, sorry. From the feet <laughs> up. the pun. That'll become clear in a minute. From the feet up, what's... I know some of it was subsequent operations that might have led to them being removed. Talk yeah. us through the injuries. So the injuries on the actual day, my right leg was r- removed below the knee, about mid-shin. That was, that was gone. And that actually, you know, was, was quite a simple clean cut, gone, bit of tidying up and, and we're done. Yeah. And my left leg, on the other hand, that was, that was a different story. So from the mid-thigh to the going down to the mid-shin looked like it had just been through a meat grinder. So that was just mince minute out of a packet. Bit of bone here, bit of bone there. Still attached. Still attached, yeah. And, and funnily enough, my, my left foot my, still had its boot on it and my boot just was immaculate. Like it just came out of the box. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then it, I, it, it's come through totally unscathed. Yeah. With presumably your foot in it. Foot was in it. From the middle of the shin down, Perfect. looked fine. It was just that middle bit from mid-thigh through the knee to the top gotcha. half of the shin. Okay, so, so yeah, so, so that's a little bit more complicated. Moving further up. I, I then suffered injury to my left testicle. At that? Yeah, so... That's blast, is it? Yeah, it was blast. But I didn't find this out until not that long ago, that it wasn't a penetrating wound. So it wasn't nothing that was found. It was just the shockwave had, had basically... Removed it? Not removed it, just scrambled it. Okay. Just, just hit it so hard that it just pink dust inside. Yeah. It, just um, one testicle. Just the one, yeah. Just the left one. Took, took the brunt of the blast. Yeah. I, so I had one... A, a vapour, just, okay. Yeah. Yeah, pretty right. much. So that had gone. Yeah. Working our way up. So left arm, we'll start my left thumb. Well, so my torso was was fine. I had no shrapnel, no scarring, no, no issues at all. My body armour did its job perfectly yeah. in that scenario. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so my torso was unscathed initially. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the left arm, I suppose. My left thumb was was attached, but by a thread. So the thumb was there. The thumb looked fine, but there was just a bit missing it, the, okay. it, in the in the knuckle. Yeah, <laughs> that was missing, and it was it was hanging on by I don't know two or three centimeters worth of flesh. Yeah, just a tiny bit. So that was that was just flapping. Yeah, and then my left arm, I was open from 
my left wrist up under my up until under my left armpit that was open my artery was was shot my nerve was severed i lost about 80% of my bicep and that was like like cutting a sausage in half and just opening it up that was what my left arm was like that's what that looked like yeah my right hand my right the tip of my right thumb was was missing and then my my middle and index finger were just smashed again almost like they had been yeah just all put into a blender okay so the the bottom side of my hand looked like someone had just cut down between my middle finger and my index finger and just pulled it apart uh, yeah like opening a banana yeah <laughs> was a was a yeah it was a bit the scar the scarring tissue on it now is 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 an interesting one to try and figure out what actually happened and then to my right arm i had just some some soft tissue damage so plenty of scarring but nothing to that's all flesh lighting yeah yeah last and then a bit further up bit further up and we get to my jaw funnily enough my jaw was probably my worst injury for recovery wise that's what kept me in hospital so long and how did your jaw you stepped on something this is a yeah talk me how, how does your jaw take the blast or what 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 it gets hit <laughs> what what so i'm not i'm not 100% sure. i think it was my my side arm my pistol i think it had broken out of its holster because it was on my chest so your pistol is in a holster in the front of your chest. Yeah. Okay. Sideways. It wasn't pointing up. It was sideways. So the holster must have broke. It was either that or it was my rifle that I had um, had in my arms had just come up and hit me in the jaw. I'm not 100% sure what it was. Something hit me really hard in the face. I know that. It smashed your jaw. Yeah. So it broke my jaw. The right side, it broke into about four or five pieces and then my left side broke into a lot more i don't actually have a number for how many pieces it was broken it's just shattered it was shattered yeah absolutely shattered teeth Um, tongue so i lost half my tongue i lost my soft palate that or my soft palate got basically punched through i had a hole underneath my chin big enough to put a fist in it obviously where the jaw was broken and splayed Hence why you referred to earlier about just breathe, I need oxygen, because yeah. you've got a mouth full of teeth and blood. Yeah, because every time they put me on their back, on my back to cardiac me, that blood just went straight down my throat. So they had to keep stopping, pulling me over to the side, allowing the blood just to spill out, and then put me back, then cardiac me, put me down, turn me over, let it spill out, and it was just a repetitive Nobody cycle. Nobody was going to do a tracheotomy on you in the middle of the field? No, no, definitely not. That just that just wasn't yeah. That only happens <laughs> in the movies. Yeah. yeah. Oh god, okay. I, wish, I wish that was real. That would have made life a lot easier to breathe. But but no, I by the time I got back to the checkpoint, they just led me on my side, and then it just naturally emptied itself. But that was that because was my they're main looking focus. at this going. I don't really know where I'm putting a first field dressing, a big bandage. No. You presumably got four tourniquets on, one on each limb now. Yeah, that's something I don't actually remember. I know I've got, I've more than likely got two on each leg. So that's four on just the lower limbs. I'm not 100% sure what they did for my upper limbs, if they just bandaged them or... or but um, Anything else? Eyesight's all right? Eyesight's fine, yeah. Hearing? Hearing is, is fine, yeah. Didn't lose a single tooth, though. All that damage to my jaw, and I didn't lose a tooth. Okay. I mean, they're not quite where they're meant to be. 
Um, so the, re- the, 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 the rebuilding of all of that, they managed to keep your dentures. Yeah, yeah. So they, they actually used my teeth. So when I, when I got to hospital, they realised that the jaw was so badly broken that they couldn't use modern techniques to, to fix it. So they had to resort back to older techniques, which was a big metal frame. So I had the metal frame around my face, but they also then wired my mouth shut and used my teeth to hold, basically wired my teeth in place to hold parts of the jaw. Create the structure for the jaw to grow and set. So the the original plan was to remove the jaw completely, but because of so much trauma to the rest of my body, they didn't want to because they didn't know if my body would cope with the extra you know work of healing yeah because they wanted to put a i think a titanium one or yeah. whatever it was but they didn't and one of the doctors said i want to try this first and they tried the older techniques first and i managed to keep the jaw okay so let me jump forward a bit there you're in the field the guys have worked out that they're not drowning you yeah putting you on your side yeah you're still conscious. Yeah. And you hear the Chinook come in? Yeah, so we get back to the checkpoint from where, obviously, where we triggered the ID. Back to the checkpoint. We're there for 10, 15 minutes, maybe. There's some further medical treatment going on. First field dressings, checking tourniquets and all that kind of stuff. There's a bit of bit of laughing, a bit of joking, because, obviously, I'm about to go back to Bastion. So one of the guys says, Jade, you want anything to take back with you? And I just said, yeah, my iPod. I want my iPod. So everyone starts laughing. Because you could mumble out a word despite you. Yeah, so... state of your face. Yeah, yeah. So wow. iPod's quite an easy one to, to mumble. And uh, I did try singing. I did try singing to stay awake. And it, it wasn't pretty. It was... Um, got morphine. Yeah, so I had, had, had morphine. That was, that was kicking in. That makes me really chatty. So... I was trying to talk, but couldn't talk. So it was just, it was just bollocks that was coming out of my mouth, really. <laughs> Literally. Literally, yeah. <laughs> bollocks and blood. Okay. Um, so the... <laughs> but yeah, I asked, asked the, my the, iPod. The, the, the vision of you all lying, ar- lying around, standing around, you in a yeah. mess on the floor, yeah, laughing and joking, waiting for the helicopter. Yeah. Seems perfectly normal. It was just like any other day. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the ten. Okay. To be honest, I just yeah. wanted to keep them on their toes. You know, I thought they were slacking a bit. I right. I'd, I'd okay. thought they'll be, deli- they'll be delighted to hear that. I'm sure not. So you get on. You get put on. Yeah. So so we waited for the waited for the merch to come in. As it started to approach, they picked me up and carried me to the HLS helicopter landing zone. Yeah. Sorry. That's no, alright. Took me to the HLS and then I just remember it being really 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 hot when they went on the back of the Chinook. Obviously, the engine's facing backwards. Pit you up, get you rushed on, put you down, do the handover, and then that was pretty much it. The the only other memory I have after that was of a feminine jaw. Might have been a woman, might not have been, but it was a feminine jaw, one of those big helmets on, leant over me, said, it's all right, buddy, you're with us now, you're safe, and then I was out. Um, I wonder who that might have been because yeah. I'm hoping that they hear it. Well, a woman who did that job on yeah. those Chinooks yeah. goes by the name of Chinook Chick on her social media 
she was a load master of Dorgano in charge of okay. the back of and she's gonna come and do one of these. But so okay. it could have been her. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, we digress. You now lose consciousness because the team have got a hold of you, they put you to sleep and start. Presumably, working. yeah, they put yeah. you to sleep, yeah. So when's the next conscious moment? The one So there was a couple times where they brought me out of the coma. And they would have been about three weeks after I got back to the UK. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a minute. Yeah. It, your journey when you, now you, you know that you went by Bastion, got put on a plane, Float back home. to Birmingham. Yeah. You're in the hospital in Birmingham? Yeah. Vic, what, Chewy, what's Queen that called? Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Three weeks have passed from the... Yeah, about, about three weeks. From the 27th of July, we're now in mid-August. Yeah. And you open an eye. Yeah, well, yeah. So my mum obviously was there for that whole period. She's filled me in on little bits. She says that they would sort of bring me round, but I don't remember, and then back out again and in and out. But like I said, this was a three-week... Period. So I remember little snippets of of information. I remember seeing like a clock on the wall, or I remember seeing somebody walk past, or yeah, yeah, just, but not like, not like it was. You just open your eyes from a snooze and you see them, almost like it was a dream. So, whilst I had probably opened my eyes and, and looked at them, it was a dream. Yeah. So are you, are you at this moment having surgery yes. done on you whilst you're in this coma? Yes. So this is the period, this is the point now where they'll do all the sort of like make good surgeries. Um, clean you up. Clean you up. Yeah, try and, and obviously with the jaw and, and stumps, trying to get all the, the blood supply, the nerves, the stumps all sewn up and... Obviously, your stumps stay open for quite a while because of the swelling. They want the swelling to go down and, and you've got drains in there and that kind of stuff. And then, um, So it's just a whole period of operations and okay. mess. You're, you're unaware of this. You then start yeah. opening your eye and come back to the conscious world. Yes. Mum's by your bed. Yes. Well, so the first recollection I have of someone... Of, of the first proper recollection I have of someone, not just a snapshot or a dream-like image, I woke up and there was a man at the end of the bed in a white lab coat and he had come up to the room to ask for consent. Because I had lost a testicle, they had taken some of my sperm to freeze. Taken some of your swimmers? Yes. <laughs> and obviously they needed consent to store it. But I've woken up in a hospital bed, stark bollock naked, missing some body parts, with a guy at the end of the bed asking for consent to take my sperm, and I'm just going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> More importantly, <laughs> how? The, how the, have you taken my sperm? Because if you're stood there with a glove and a pot in your hand, you can piss off. <laughs> so you're the, you don't know that he's already taken it? No, I, I had no idea. I've literally just woken up to, we need your consent to take Maybe your... Maybe that's what, you know, arriving at heaven's like. Yeah, 
I mean, I, you must have thought, where am I? It was very white in that room, sheets and, and lights. and. So you'll come to Jesus moment. Quite literally. <laughs> come, come to Jesus. Or in this general direction. So presumably consent was given, unbeknownst to you. Yeah, I gave, gave the quick nod and a bit of a wink. But uh, there's not much more consent I could give. But um, so that, And then that was it. That was done. And, and that's all I remember from that interaction. Okay. But yeah, and then later on, I don't actually remember the first time I was conscious, conscious and with it. Sort of being able to say, hi, mum, I'm okay, or... Yeah, well, I, I couldn't talk anyway. I, so I was... I, my mouth was wide shut and I had a frayed mum mouth for three months. So... With my trachea as well. You got a trachea, okay. Yeah, with the trachea, tracheotomy as well. A lot um, of machines beeping around you. Yeah, it was a very sort of like... I'd taken a vow not to talk moment because I couldn't say anything or do anything. Both hands were bandaged up and hanging from poles and my face. I couldn't turn my head left and right because the frame wouldn't allow me to turn my head left and right. Um, How are you being fed? Through a tube? Yeah, so I, yeah, so it was all just done through... Into your guts? You know, so originally it was in... Yeah, this is a story that could go on for a bit because this was... This was probably the most traumatic part of the entire ordeal was being fed and food-related activities. It was just a torture I wouldn't wish on anybody. I'd rather have my fingernails pulled. Well, than have tubes stuffed down your nose or... And being fed that way, yeah, with oh, the injuries that I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. was... Um, okay. But that's probably for a bit later on. Um, or maybe never. <laughs> or, or maybe, yeah, I don't mind, I don't mind no, no, talking about it. It was, it was just a journey. Yeah. Um, we all love food. We live in a culture where food is a big thing. Yeah. Not being able to eat or drink for three months, in the normal sense, was hard. And well, and painful. Yeah, yeah, and painful. Because whilst you're being fed for a tube, it doesn't feel like you're being fed. Yeah. I mean, your body's still going, but... Yeah. Okay, so... Let's nudge the dial a bit forward. There you are. You can't even scratch your nose. Yeah. When is the moment you remember when you start analysing your own body and going, okay, I'm clearly in a hospital and this is my situation? I don't. Or is that that you don't? Okay. No. I sort of, again, going back to the start of the conversation when I said that when I stood on it and I just I subconsciously knew what had happened, when I woke up in hospital... I knew what was gone was gone. The only thing I didn't know was was my testicle. But other than that, I I knew my legs weren't there. I didn't look for them. I didn't... Not that I'm aware of. Uh-huh. I reached for them. I grabbed them when I was in pain, obviously. But I just knew they were gone. Mm-hmm. I'd had some quite vivid dreams from the medication as well. And in my dreams, the injuries I had in real life were the injuries I had in those dreams. So I don't know if that played a part. It's interesting how the brain slowly introduces you to the concept. Yeah. So when I woke out. up, I had those injuries already. Okay. Um, wow. You then embark upon a long journey of surgeries. Yes. I mean, this is 2012, middle, 
we're in August now. Do you even know how many surgeries or... Uh, Off the top of my head, I can't remember the actual number. I know it was around the 30 mark in total. This is 30 operations? Yeah. And that's... that's and this is that's over... In, a... That's over a long period. So that's including the, the operations I had uh, afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, I only had three. Once I, so all my surgeries were done at the start. Uh, whilst I was in Queen Elizabeth, and I had three surgeries done outside of Queen Elizabeth, down in Salisbury. So how long were you at Queen Elizabeth for? I was there for about three months. Okay, so you come out in autumn, three months, nearly Christmas time. Yeah, so I come out in November. To? I go straight to Headley Court. I do a short stint at Headley Court before I go home for Christmas. And then... The, the jaw, you, the jaw is... So, yeah, so the jaw... I mean, I mean, the jaw was the reason I was in hospital for three months. I had that frame on my face, what felt like a lifetime for, for pretty much most of it. Mm-hmm. It must have been two, two and a bit months with the teeth wide shut. The jaw come off first, the teeth were still wide shut. They were then cut and then I had them, the, the blocks and the braces removed. And then obviously I had to learn to swallow, eat, I had to learn to eat again, which was a was an interesting... Because you've got half a tongue, yeah. rebuilt jaw, lots of muscles are all not yeah. there. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't yeah. used it, have I, for, yeah. for months. And so. a lot of it's been smashed up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just so learning to swallow. A lot of skin grafting going on. Yeah, again, I, th- I think I was very, very fortunate. A lot of my surgeries that were done at the start were done quite well, which I know, I know a lot of people have to go back and have follow-up surgeries or... Mm-hmm whatever it might be. Mine were done quite well. So as far as my stumps go, I haven't had to have any revision surgery on my stumps. Whereas I know some people have spent, you know, years down the line still having revision surgery done on their stumps. So you're home for Christmas? Yeah, yeah, I'm home for Christmas. And feeding yourself? You haven't got yeah, much so in of hands left and all this muscle wastage... I'm very caveman-esque feeding myself, just shoveling it in. The, the, the goal was just to eat as much as possible and to get as strong as possible. My body had, had been so deprived of nutrients and, and of substance that I, I looked like I had been starved to the point of death. Mm. Every bone was showing I was weak and feeble. So yeah, so that period of being at home was literally just a case just to eat as much food as I could to get as strong as I could so when I went back to Headley Court I could start my rehab. The physical, physio, the yes. let's get this body moving. Exactly, yeah. Learn to walk, talk, eat. Use function. Yeah. Go for it. Right. Yeah. This happens in August 2012. You're home for Christmas 2012. 2013, you're back to Headley Court. Yeah. And then how long is the journey? So I ended up getting discharged from the army in August 2015. So give or take three years. And, and But that wasn't all rehab. That was, a lot of it was just being at home, getting back to normality. So you're still being paid by the army? Yeah, you're still employed by the army. They're looking after you. The NHS, yeah. the military has got you covered. You are... Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Did you take out insurance? I did. Yeah, so obviously everyone's got the Armed Forces Compensation Scheme coverage. You had Abacus and PAX. And you still bought the maximum amount? Of PAX, yes. 
I did it by Abacus. I got packs. Okay, but um, you bought as much as you could. Yeah. Because... Yeah, of course. On some of the other, other episodes, they, they slightly it. regret only buying one unit or... Yes, of course. So, okay. No, so, I bought... I, I knew from the very start. So when I was asked to be Point Man by my multiple commander, um, he was just so open and honest about what the job was and what it entailed. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't bullshit me. He'd done tours. He knew what he was talking about. He said, this is the job. I, I'm asking everybody if they want to do it. I'm now asking you. And I just said yes. So it wasn't hidden from me. So when so it you... comes to taking out insurance, I thought, huh. Let's have... This could all go horribly wrong. Yeah. Let's get the max. Okay. That was clever. Yes. Yeah. So the system's looking after you. Yeah. The chess and the military has done an amazing job in rebuilding yeah. you. Headley Court. Yeah. You learn to walk again. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't remember learning to walk because none of us <laughs> kind of do, right? When we're babies. But it, you're in there a long time getting muscles to work and... Yeah, I think... Feeling I positive. I mean, how is your mental outlook on all of this? You're, you're having to learn so many new things again and you're pretty bust up. Yeah. How are you mentally sort of deciding this is what the choices I'm going to make? So I was very, very fortunate when I... So when you, when you get injured and you end up in somewhere like Queen Elizabeth, what you'll find is there'll be a, a, a rotation of guys coming through that are already at Headley Court. And they'll come back for follow-on appointments, checkups, operations, whatever it might be. And when they come back, they're asked to come up and talk to the new guy, basically, and say, look, this is life as an amputee, this is Headley Court, this is what it's like, it's not the end of the world, yada, yada, yada. I just, by pure chance, happened to have some tremendous guys that come and saw me and basically just said... It is what it is. You can't do anything about it. Fucking okay. grab it by the horns and, and live life to, to the full. You know, and, and those guys have gone on and done amazing things and, and I fell into the, a good crowd at Headley. Not that it was a bad crowd, obviously, but I fell into a very, very positive mindset group of people. Not that I did it, not that I personally ever wavered at the start anyway. I'm very much a, it's happened, it's happened, you can't change it, get on with it kind of, kind of guy. But... Falling in with you're a glass pieces. half full kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get me another. Yeah. So, so yeah. So when I got to Headley Court, it was very much of excitement of of let's let's get on with it. Let's let's do it. Don't get me wrong. It was hard work. It was sometimes soul destroying. You didn't want to get out of bed because you knew what was coming. You knew that your legs were sore. It was going to hurt. Your physio had some just ridiculous task for you to do that day, which people with legs couldn't do. So why am I attempting to do it? But there they were, at the end of your bed, get your legs on, let's go. So yeah, so it was, it was a good place, a motivational place. Yeah. Okay. You're fixed. You learn to walk again. Yeah, quite quickly. You're feeling positive. Get up and go. Yeah. You get out of there. And then you hit the big wide world, medically discharged. 
Yeah. Tell us... I mean, we don't need your sort of whole life story from the minute you left <laughs> the army, but you're medically discharged. Yeah. A bit of a shock to the system. You're no longer in that tribe. Yeah. The big wide world's out in front of you and you do quite an amazing job now. Yeah, different. Quite a different job. Not one you'd expect me to fall into, but one that I have fallen into quite well. So it's casualty simulation, which is exactly what it sounds like, really. I work for a company that is contracted out by the Ministry of Defence to provide casualty simulators or CASIM role players. And I basically travel over the country and be a casualty for... for pretend to be pretend a nimbus casualty. Yeah. I just just a massive walt really. So 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 they mock up exercises for training military people where guys are casualties and instead of using dummies or yeah. able bodied people, there's guys like you that show up, yeah, throw your prosthetics in the corner, yeah, and lie there and scream and shout and make it as realistic as possible. Yes. Exactly that. And they, they mock you up like on a film set. Yeah, down so, down to the This is zombie apocalypse. Exactly. Like Fright Night at Alton Towers. You are, you, depending on your job, it's such a varied job. You could be all over the country. You could be gone for a day or you could be gone for two weeks. It, and, and the exercise depends on the exercise and troop who's training, whether it's with an infantry battalion that's deploying or whether it's with a medical regiment that's, that's building up for operations. So it varies on... That's a hell of a job because you kind of revisiting yeah the 27th of July 2012 every day you go to work. Yes, yeah, exactly. So I, I, did a, I did a really, really good job actually with one of the range regiments. It was only a two-day job. The first day was nice and slow, just walk through, talk through, then brushing up on some skills. The second one was, a, was a, a, about an, an eight-hour, nine-hour exercise where we were supposed to be involved in a in a road traffic incident collision they had to fight through some checkpoints find us grab us treat us um then extract us under contact get us back to get us back to like a safe safe area if you will then they had to go further into because obviously they operate more independently and you're just acting your... And I'm acting the whole way, yeah. So I'm a double amputee. I've got prosthetic liners on to look like I'm a double amputee. I've got head injuries, open lacerations, bits of glass sticking out. The whole shebang, open All fractures. All yeah. All mocked up, yeah. And then, yeah, they get us back to the safe place. And then a Chinook comes in and it's the Merc. And next thing I know, I'm led in a field in, in England, looking up at the sunny sun, being dragged onto the back of another Merc. Thinking, I've been here before. Yeah, this looks familiar. Where have I seen this before? <laughs> Only this time they didn't put me to sleep and I wasn't actually dying. Um, it doesn't hurt. No. And then, yeah, they put me on the mat and then they flew me around the English countryside for 25 minutes, landed me back at their camp and took me into an operating theatre where, or a makeshift operating theatre where they then wow. carried on their treatment. So, so. I mean, it's amazing that you kind of relive this moment every day, but then I guess this is, is this your way of putting something back? 
this is making sure that the next... I mean, because you referred earlier about how you knew the guys knew what they were doing and you were yeah. confident in their ability. Is this you sort of going, I want the next lot to be... Yeah, well, so I sort of stumbled into it. So I've got a, I've got a friend who I, I met. I like the way he stumbled into it. I, yeah. I have seen you walk. I, <laughs> thanks. I, I wheeled on into it. Um, Nah, a guy that I, I met who also had got injured in Afghanistan a few months after I did, he just phoned me up out of the blue one day and said, Jay, I've got, you know, what are you doing? Do you want some work? And this is what I'm doing. Do you want to come along and try? And I was like, yeah, sure. And and I, from the minute I turned up, I just felt like I had gone back and I was back in that environment again. I was, so it was just like jumping straight back into time again. And the usual banter, um, back, in, back in combat, same as this timeline. Um, obviously just playing a casualty. So so I tried it for a bit and then I fell in love with it. And Did they know that you're military and how you got your injuries? Yes, yeah. So everyone was quite everyone was quite taken back. They were a bit like, you sure, you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, 100%. And, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Like you said, I, I am expertly qualified for this role. <laughs> anyone, yeah, if anyone can be, a, be an injured soldier... I think I might just scrape the qualification bar for that. I can get the Oscar. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it a try. I, I, that's an amazing thing to do to put that back. And I know that you've also you've done some briefings down at Sandhurst. Actually, from your perspective, what it's like and what young platoon commanders have to do. Yeah. Because one of the things yeah. about your incident was some of it was caught on camera, and obviously that's quite a visual impact for young trainee officers to experience and then you walk down from the back and they get yeah. to actually see you and then talk to you. So, I mean, that's a really powerful thing you're doing there. Yes. Yeah. Well, the opportunity, the opportunity arose and it was one that I couldn't, I couldn't really pass up again. Now that we're not, now that we find ourselves not in a position to deploy operationally, it's important that we don't lose the skills, yeah, that, that perspective, that skill, that knowledge that's got to be passed on. So any opportunity really to help soldiers, officers, whoever it may be, to get a... Even if it's the smallest bit of understanding of what it's like, then, I, then I'll take it and I'll help. And, and that's how it came about, really. It was just... It was for them to be able to talk to someone who's been there and, and done it and ask questions on how they can go about it from their, from their, you know... Yes, because all you do is exercises and it can be a bit clinical when actually... Yeah. I imagine your scenario, chaos reigns. Yeah, you know, the unthinkable happens. You can practice it a million times, but it's never going to be the way you practice it. It's not a gravel path in Brecon. You know, you can be in a foot deep full of mud or you could be in a have to cross a river, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. under fire, more IEDs. So you do this amazing job now. Yeah. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but very briefly, it yeah. would appear from the fact that I said at the beginning and some of your children wanted to be on the podcast that the swimmers worked, was that because the man in the white coat had done his job or is one, the one you've got <laughs> left enough? Well, the man, the man in the white coat might have done his job, I don't know, but the one I had was enough. Um, so, yeah, so they are naturally 
still works. Yes. Yeah, perfect. It does. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, because I know there's quite often, and I've heard these stories from others about how, yeah, they've taken a sample yeah. because they don't know. Sometimes it's just the shock wave and there's no, yeah. and, and visually there's nothing wrong, and but the shock wave can damage them so they stop producing as, yeah. as, as your colleague Tony in episode one refers to as swimmers. You know. Swimmers, yeah. have, I, have I got any swimmers or not? Other swimmers swimming. Um, okay, so you, you've, you're now living in the West Country, yeah. three children. Yeah. You got married. Back in 2019. Yeah. So four years after you're sort of recovered, 2015, you're out, you're, you, you've yeah. got the full family and here we are sitting in your kitchen you with some very expensive prosthetics. Yeah. Which, I mean, cost in tens of thousands, I imagine. Thank um, you, taxpayers. <laughs> it's, it's, frankly, it's the least that we taxpayers, whoever, can do. But your, your journey is, I want to say, a good story. But it, it, yeah. the system worked. You, you, the, yeah. the Ministry of Defence and the NHS and all of that has, has rebuilt you, looked after you, provides you with what you've required. Yeah. I mean... Is that fair? Yes, 100%. My, my, I, I guess my journey from, from point A explosion to now has obviously been so long and complex. We could make a podcast... 24 hours and we still wouldn't cover everything but every step of the way for me has pretty much run how it should run for everybody um and it's it's always a it's always a conflicting issue for me because I, because it has run so smoothly i feel almost not guilty awkward talking do you know what I mean? Like, cause I know how some people have struggled so much that shouldn't have struggled. And I've got, I understand because I was so severely injured physically, it's easy. You look at me, well, the guy's lost his legs. That's simple. We can, we can deal with that. So I don't know if that's had a part to play why it's been so smooth because it's so visual and because it's so obvious and I pretty much ask for what I want and I get. Whereas as you move further on down, yeah, that's not really the right... Into the, the, the less visible injuries. But again, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, I would never say they were lesser injuries because they're not. Because injury is all in the mind. You might, you might lose your thumb and, and only your thumb, but to you, that might be everything. And that might be absolute world shattering in, do you know what I mean yeah yeah whereas and, someone and, like me who PTSD could be crippling exactly so I, I, I'm not I'm not someone that believes someone's injuries are worse than someone else's I don't believe in ranking people's injuries however I understand in the real world organisations companies do they have to it's some are easier to look at and exactly. fix than yeah. others exactly so have there been, what's been your exposure to charities? Because you've kind of been in the MOD system, Henry yeah. Court and the NHS 
So the charities for you that you've brushed up against have been enablers of what? Yeah, so the two main of the two charities that I've actually dealt with would be Blesma would be the first. So um, that's the British Limbless Ex Service Members Association. We'll go with that. Blesma. And obviously then the Colonel's Fund, which is my regimental charity. Both of whom I haven't required much from. However, they have given me opportunities, expeditions, learn new skills. So Blesma sent me snowboarding, for example, which is a skill that I potentially... It's hard enough with your own limbs. It is hard enough, <laughs> yeah, and it's harder without. I can, I can, I can... testimony to that. But, but again, it's an opportunity I probably wouldn't have gone for had it not been for that charity. Yeah. And as with the Colonel's friend sending me on the Yukon trip, again, that's something that I probably wouldn't have done without the charity. So whilst, whilst it's not so much relying on them for day-to-day life, they have provided different perspectives and different opportunities. And those experiences of going snowboarding had been life-changing. Yeah, have been life-changing. In what way? What's the change that you've come back from those trips with? So if we start with the first one, which would be the snowboarding, my family, my siblings, my wife and that lot, all like to go skiing. And it's something that I've not been able to do. Whereas now... I know out. that I can do it. Do you know what I mean? So I, I know that I can go and get myself a snowboard and a pair of boots and I can get up on a mountain and whilst I'm not... And have fun together. ...their level, yeah. I've got, I've got the basic skills to... So you've got the confidence to get back onto the mountain. Yeah, exactly. Um, Amazing. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and same again with the Yukon trip. It's not something, it's not a... Don't tell me you've got family that want to go there as well. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I would drag them out there. Um, it's something that I think they should definitely do. But for myself, being back in that environment, knowing that actually I can survive, obviously, in a small group of eight men. 700 self- kilometres, seven yeah. days. Self-supported. In, a, in the wilderness. Yeah, uh, even with no legs. You did it. Yeah, well, we did it. We did it with smiles on our faces and... And it, you eventually <laughs> worked out why we took you on the Yukon, right? When the bear came, yeah. Someone had to be bait, didn't they? <laughs> so, someone had to lie around on the floor whilst everyone else ran off with their limbs flailing. That's not <laughs> actually what happened. It's exactly what happened. This <laughs> it's exactly what happened. I remember asking you... And I'm wondering whether you can remember the answer you gave me. Oh, God. I asked you once, after a long day, paddling. Yes, I will marry you. When we finished. (laughs) Yes, you will marry me. I never asked you to marry me. I asked you to tell me something I didn't know. Oh, yes, I do remember. Can you remember what you told me? I, I remember you asking... Was it about the blood? The amount of blood in the, in the body? You were telling me something which I didn't, didn't know. know. Yeah. And it was the fact that even though I'm a double amputee and missing other digits and whatnot, I still have the same amount of blood in the body as a regular adult male. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember thinking, 
how could that possibly be? Yeah. But, well, I, th- that was my initial thought. And am I right in saying walking on your prosthetics yeah. requires more energy than me walking? Yes. Yes. On, a, my, on my normal limbs. Yeah. My, the, the function of the, the oxygenated blood required to produce energy for me to walk, yeah. you need more with prosthetics. Yeah. I, I, you, the, or you use more energy. I'm probably getting the biology wrong. but we, Yeah, we definitely use more energy. That's just because it's an unnatural thing to do. Uh, we're obviously manipulating machines to act as limbs. Yeah. So whereas you just get up and walk and you don't even think about it, I have to tense my stomach, pull my shoulders back, lift my chin up, balance, clench my bum, and then every step I am... <clears throat> it's a conscious effort. Also, I'm because I have stumps and, and not full legs, I have little levers to try and take me from it A to B. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it, it totally does. And it was something that I, I didn't know. And I, I still, it, it still sort of confuses me as I, yeah. I, I, you know, as I sort of sit there and think, well, do, have you got higher blood pressure than... No. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, but I've always had a low blood pressure. Because if there's the same so amount of fluid and the vessel is half the size, but I, the vessels I, must just expand, surely. I, well, well, I, hey, I don't, I, some somebody will leave a comment and to, and explain to you and I the biology behind yeah. it. But I thought oh, it was oh, a fascinating. I thought it was. It's one of the best answers I've ever had to that question, which I ask a lot of people. Yeah, and you know, tell me something I don't know, because first of all, they're trying to work out what they think I might know. Which, by the way, isn't not very a lot. Much. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as you know, isn't very much. But that's the joy of it. And then the facts that one gets told, or the or the or the interesting thing one one hears, is great. Okay, so those funds, those charities, have given you experiences which have helped you do other things. You're working away now, doing your amazing work, training the the next cohort of people that are gonna maybe have the unfortunate... Having my, my little part in their training, yes. Having a little part in their training. What's next for you? Where, where, where do you, you know, as you, as you look at life ahead of you, yeah. it's not, you know, by now you would be Sergeant Major of the Grenadier Guards, um, changing the guard at Buckingham Palace or, you know, oh, charging over the top or whatever it is you'd be doing. Obviously. What, what, well, you know. <laughs> a, a, a man of your caliber, you'd be you're all the way. But what, where's Jason thinking he's going next? Well, I'm very happy where I am at the moment. Very happy where I am. Obviously, I've got young kids and my wife and my family home back here. I've got this, this new job that I'm obviously enjoying and, and uh, still learning and getting to grips meeting new people. So I'm, I'm very happy where I am. So I've not, I've not made plans as of yet as to where I want to go. I've got ideas of what I'd like to do. I'd like to go back to the Yukon. <laughs> I know, mental. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would love the opportunity to, to do the Yukon 1000. I think that's where I would like to be in five or six years' time. Really? Yeah. Well, I'd like to think so. But, I mean... You probably have to do it with an able-bodied person. No, I no. You want to do it on your own? I, in a I, I would do it with someone. 
but I wouldn't say they have to be able-bodied. Okay. Because I've done because I've done the Yukon trip, obviously with yourself and and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I know what's required, limb-wise, to make it doable. So my equipment that I took last time wasn't really suitable. Go- right, but how are you? Well, we could get lost in this. Yeah, we could. I mean, hey, what a great thing to have out there as a target. Yeah. As you say, it's doable. It's just got to work it out. Yeah. Like I said, at the moment, I'm, I'm happy to... I'm happy where I am. I want to watch my kids grow up. That's something I never thought I'd be able to do. So that's something I'm going to grab by the, the horns. And I think once they start to get a bit older and a bit more independent and no longer want me... Um, and play with their mates. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> when they get to that age, then I can... Spend some time on you again. Yeah, exactly. So, you Amazing. know, however many years down the line that is, nothing's impossible. No. I mean, you are a testament to nothing is impossible. Everything is possible. I would talk to you for hours if I could, and maybe our listeners would like to hear more. We've kind of rushed through your journey, but I think we've got the gist of it. Yeah. I hope so. You went to the gate and didn't like the view on the other side in wherever you thought we all go to and said, not for me, not today. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Yeah. And how's mum and your siblings and family coping with the new you? Yeah, I I think obviously they had their shake up in life, their knock on the door and whatnot. But I think we've turned the corner. I think... Everyone seems to be getting on with their lives. My siblings have made great successes of their lives so far, and um, which is what life is all about, isn't it? Move forward, not backwards. Twice the man in the Grenadier. Half the man in twice the man's regiment. <laughs> I am blagging my way through this one, aren't I? <laughs> Half the man in twice the man's regiment. I think that's a great moment to leave it. Jason, thank you very much for your story and your time. You're and welcome. I'm, um, the amount of times that you said, well, it's kind of funny, but this is what I, I'm in awe and I'm eternally grateful for you spending time doing this. Thank you. And I'm sure our listeners will be equally captivated. Listeners, the charities that Jason has mentioned are in the bio. And again, this comes out every two weeks. Please like, follow, leave your comments. And if you've got anything that you want to say to Jason, then you can find me at the following email, which is thesearchchicken at gmail.com. And I can pass them on. Likewise, hopefully we'll see you at the next episode, which will be out in a couple of weeks time. But Jason, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was was fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's very kind of you. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Alrighty.